You work at an auditing firm and you know that there's a government regulatory board that makes sure your audits are compliant and thorough. One of your coworkers says that the board is actually a joke and there's no real threat from them. However, one of your friends from college said that his company just received a huge fine for not providing good audits. Which one of them is right? Welcome to the Innovative Business Podcast from the Hank Hammer School of Business at Baylor University. My name is Bo Mello. I'm Justin Walker. Today we are speaking with Assistant Professor of Accounting and Business Law, Dr. Michael Mochan. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Good. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. Um, so just to intro this, um, obviously we're talking about research on this. Um, what is the primary focus of your research? <clears throat> so more broadly, I'm I'm in the accounting department, so I do accounting research, but uh, my specific focus area within accounting is auditing. Um, and so most of you might know of uh, audit firms like ENY, KPMG, PBC, Deloitte. Uh, those are the large audit firms, but there's many more smaller ones. Uh, and what they do as auditors is, you know, if you're investing based upon financial statements, we give some assurance that those financial statements are accurate. And so that's what an auditor does. And that's where I focus my, uh, my research. So the paper we wanted to talk to you about today is titled, Does PCAOB Regulatory Enforcement Deter Low Quality Audits? Um, how does that fit into your focus? Yeah, so the PCAOB is actually the regulatory body for the audit firms. And so uh, they have the ability to go in and inspect the audit firm's work. Um, for the larger firms, it happens every year, and it's a lot of clients they look at. Uh, for the smaller firms, it happens every three years. Um, but they oversee those firms. And then if there's any bad audit quality, they actually can create enforcement actions against those firms or the individual partners that are associated with an audit. And so that can be barring an individual, fining them money. Uh, some of you might have heard of the recent cheating scandals at some of the firms. And those are, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, um, and, and then the most, uh, the strongest enforcement action is just to revoke their ability to do public company audits. And so they can no longer, uh, basically conduct business in that area. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so how did how did you guys come to even ask this question? Yeah, so uh, since, um, you know, th there's been some discussion since around 2014, the PCOB has really stated, uh, you know, what our enforcements do is not just deter low quality by the individuals that we sanction, uh, but the broader audit firm environment as well. And so they have, they have argued um, that they deter low audit quality among non-sanctioned groups. And so, um, so they're, they're speaking to that side, but there was a recent, um, in 2019, there was a project on government oversight, uh, POGO report, and they said PCOB was a toothless body of law. And so they basically said the PCOB does nothing. Uh, they don't even force well the ones that they do sanction. And so we were trying to investigate that question. Do they actually deter low quality audits uh, in the broader audit environment? So is it important for the profession to have a governing body? Uh, I mean, I would say yes. Otherwise, they've governed themselves. And so uh, prior to the PCOB, there was what was known as AICPA peer reviews, and they would actually review each other's work. And so naturally, uh, you could be detrimental to your competitor, but they would just do the same to you. So uh, the PCOB was meant to be this third party that oversees. Um, and, and it works in some fashion, but they also get their auditors from the audit firm. So it's it's kind of a, a juggling act as is anyway. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. And just for like clarification purposes, do you mind explaining what the difference between like a really good audit looks like compared to like a low tiered audit? Yeah. What they're trying to fight against. Yeah. And so uh, a kind of a low quality audit from uh, an investor's perspective is if that company that you're investing in has to restate their financial statements. So they reissue their financial statements and, and potentially change the net income number, right? And so you are potentially investing based upon a profitable company, but what you might see is they had to restate their financial statements and then uh, you have invested based upon misleading information. Gotcha. That makes sense. So what did you find in regards to their enforcement? Yeah, so we looked at it broadly and, and we tried to understand, um, you know, are those firms in, are firms responding to sanctions within their own firm, uh, just a different office, or are they responding to um, non-sanctioned firms, or sorry, are they responding to competitors within their uh, local market? And we actually find that the big firms, they only respond when they are themselves are sanctioned. So they don't even respond to other big firms being sanctioned. Uh, it's only themselves. So for example, if the New York office got sanctioned, somebody in LA might respond by improving audit quality. Uh, whereas the small firms, uh, they don't have that within firm spillover uh, because the small firms often only have those one or two offices. So there's not a lot of spillover to anywhere. Uh, but the smaller firms will respond to an enforcement in the same geographic area. But interestingly, they only respond to the like the the strongest of enforcement. So if a competitor gets removed from the public uh, company market, then they'll respond. But if it's just a sanction against an auditor, an individual, uh, often they don't. Interesting. Um, so you talked about the geographic area. Like how how big are these geographic areas? Is it cities, states? Yeah, so in in our research, we typically use the the MSA level, which is mes metropolitan statistical area, and so the New York MSA is actually quite large and includes parts of New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, but we we do try to understand: well, is it is it strictly kind of that wide, or or is it stronger when it's within the the same city? And so we also investigate whether. Uh, it gets stronger as the 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 geographic region it, it becomes smaller, and so if, if they are conducting audits in the exact same city, it's actually a stronger reaction for those firms. Interesting. And how did you guys go about researching this? Uh, what like methods did you use? Was it like interviews? Was it how 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 would you find this data? Yeah, so this is an archival research study, and so. Um, luckily, all of these PCOB enforcements are published online. And so we did investigate uh, those public enforcements by downloading them, reading through all of them. Many of them are quite long. We tried to understand the parties involved. We tried to understand when the enforcement investigation began because these inspections can sometimes last like two years. Wow. And then it's finally published online. So there was a potential that we never find anything because it takes two years to get published. Um, but we did. Um, and so we downloaded them uh, from the PCOB's website. Um, and that was another interesting part of our study is we actually found when those PCOB enforcements got more coverage in the media, then we saw a stronger reaction from, from those non-sanctioned auditors as well. How far of this timeline did you go back to review was it you know past 10 years, past 20? Yeah, so the PCOB has only been in existence since the Enron scandal, which was back in 20, uh, 2002, and so it uh, came about with SOX. And so we went back to the very first inspection cycle, which was 2005 uh, through 2015. So we, 
we read a number of enforcement actions during that period. Wow. Interesting. Um, so obviously it seems like they actually, I presume the answer, you kind of answered this implicitly is they actually do have a purpose, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, um, what does, what does that mean for like the industry as a whole that this is actually a good governing body? What, what does that mean as a whole? Yeah. So it kind of silences some, or to some extent silences some of the critics that they've had, um, saying that these enforcements aren't, aren't doing enough. Um, when in fact they, they seem to be doing something, it is constrained to a geographic region or it's constrained within a firm. Uh, but at least they are doing something to deter audit quality on a broader, uh, low audit quality on a broader perspective. Um, and you know, I know the sanctions sometimes don't seem like a significant amount. Uh, if we talk about profits for some of the big firms, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar fine is is like a drop in the bucket for them. And so uh, the fact that they do actually change audit quality in other offices when they are sanctioned is is meaningful from that perspective. Uh, so, are there any kind of real world implications for the auditors themselves that come out of this paper? Yeah. So for the auditors themselves, they can really link it to, well, I know this PCOB enforcement body does have some some practical implications for me. And so uh, it's it's potentially preventing them from going down the road of doing something of poor quality before they even reach the partner level. So, you know, smaller uh, or associates or managers before they even reach partner may, may decide to change um, change their approach to certain tests. Um, from a company's perspective, this actually uh, kind of signals from a broader perspective what audit committees should look at. Um, so the audit committee is the body that hires an audit firm to conduct the audit for the for the company. Um, and so, you know, Apple might hire uh, uh, ENY or somebody. And, and so the audit committee can have something to look at. Was there an enforcement action within this local office? And should I be aware of potential low quality that's being done there? And should I seek improvements from my auditor? Interesting. Interesting. Um, what kind of like long-term implications do you see coming from this? So will it give more power for, to the PCAOB or PC, yeah, AOB, or does this just strengthen their already their position or what, what do you see yeah. going forward? Well, even since this study has been in kind of the review process at the journals, uh, we've actually seen a lot of changes to the PCAOB. So you know, we had switches in uh, the administration in the White House, right? And so we saw changes in the PCOB, basically a full turnover two times because of the changes in the White House. And so um, what we've actually seen since uh, since the most recent turnover is uh, some of these fines are getting much larger than they used to be. And so maybe some of that previous report or the previous um, kind of concerns about whether the PCOB was effective are being heard by the PCOB. Um, but uh, so what we're seeing is m maybe they do have the clout that they are claiming to have. Um, but now we're going to enforce even more and we're going to create more enforcement actions than we have in the past. And, and those are going to be larger magnitude penalties as well. So you brought something up that's kind of interesting to me is uh, during the review process, all of these changes happen. And can you talk about kind of behind the scenes of writing a research paper, how those changes impact your research? Yeah. And so, it, it, you know, as this this paper actually 
was in the review process at two different journals. And over the entirety of the, the time it's been in review, it, it's been six years. So uh, it's been a long time, right? There's a lot of changes that have occurred. Um, and it brings in additional anecdotes that we can bring into the paper. Uh, largely, the idea remained the same. Um, but the review process shifts the paper um, we had a much uh, smaller focus on some of those smaller firms that I talked about, but then we broadened it to include the large firms as well. And so the entire review process, it, it makes the paper better. It's just it takes a while to get through it. Right? Um, so going from here, what what is the next next form of re or next topic of research that you're going to go? Is it going to be in the same realm? Did something else an audit? Yeah, so I have a number of other papers going on an audit, but if we're sticking in the same area, I'm going to, uh, with one of the co-authors that's on this paper, I think we're going to start investigating our individual partners responding um, uh, because they themselves can be sanctioned and barred from conducting public company audits. And, um, and so we're going to look at like the social networks, not just are they in the same office or do they interact with these individuals, but like, you know, LinkedIn profiles. There are people you have connections with that you may not speak to, but there are many that you do. And so uh, we're potentially going to take a look at those LinkedIn profiles and see how the social networks for those individuals that are barred can impact perceptions of another partner's audit quality. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Do you have any uh, hypotheses as as you go forward? Uh, my anticipation is, is many of those uh, linkages might be kind of just, uh, you know, like a Facebook friend where you, where you don't actually interact with them a whole lot. But, right. uh, but as you can potentially uh, have uh, stronger connections, maybe it's you went to university with these individuals or uh, you worked in the same office or you worked on the same clients or things like that. Uh, as the bonds strengthen, uh, we anticipate there's probably stronger spillover to that individual. So is there any uh, future research specifically um, out of this paper uh, outside of that study outside of that one no uh not not off the top of my head um but uh i do conduct regular research in the audit area and so one of the other things i'm currently working on is um the accounting firms actually provide three types of service they do audits tax or advisory and so i'm investigating whether a leader for an office from the advisory practice might actually deter uh, high quality audits within the office, right? Because the advisory practice is about consulting, it's about revenues, uh, it's about making high profits for uh, basically one-off transactions. Um, and so I'm trying to investigate, does that advisory leader kind of uh, distract audit partners away from what they were really hired to do, and that's conduct good quality audits? It's interesting because uh, I don't, for me personally, I don't often think of uh, the social science side of accounting. Mm -hmm. um, I think of numbers and um, Excel sheets. And so it's it's interesting to see that there's quite a bit of social uh, human interaction research that's going on within that field. Yeah. And specifically, uh, I don't want to speak poorly of my tax colleagues, but uh, specifically audit, they typically will, will be housed within the client's uh, headquarters. So you'll get uh, sometimes it's like a boiler room area but or basement, uh, but the auditor is in the client's uh, headquarters, whereas tax, you're typically in the office, and so you don't have those same social interactions. Right. Dr. Malchin, um, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to visit with us and uh, share your research with our audience. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovative Business Podcast from the Hank Hammer School of Business. If you want to check out more episodes of Innovative Business or the Business Review Podcast from CJ Jackson, go to handcammer.baylor.edu slash podcasts. And if you would like to know even more about research and alumni stories from the Hank Hammer School of Business, go to bbr.baylor.edu.